We've always taken mums the word to mean keeping things to ourselves. Well, this is no longer the case as we provide mums with the natural, honest, and reliable resources they need from experts and other mums to keep their families happy, healthy, and safe. Be prepared to use your passion for parenting to empower yourself with the knowledge of choice. Welcome to Mums the Word with your host, mum and chiropractor, Kaz Jaff. Hey everybody, it's Kaz here and I'm really excited about this episode. Uh, Lots of reasons. It was super high energy. I think the topic is very, very important and uh, our guest is uh, just really easy to listen to and lots and lots of fun. Bianca Sprague is a birth doula and lactation educator and has supported hundreds of families through their pregnancy, birth and postpartum periods. She feels particularly passionate around maintaining the family's relationships and mental wellness. As a queer woman, she advocates for inclusive language in the birthing space. She lives in Toronto with her spouse, Alana, and their daughter, Gray. And her business, Bebo Mia, who we talk about, um, which we talk about, I apologize, on the uh, on the episode, is a training and mentorship organization for women in the maternal health field, including pregnancy, birth professionals, childbirth educators, and parenting specialists. They offer comprehensive skills, business support, and community care through an innovative online structure that spans a global market, a very different culture from both the patriarchal boardroom model and the female-centric multi-level marketing industry. Bebo Mia offers opportunities for women to work from home while making income for themselves and their families. They develop inclusive, accessible trainings for women that provide the skills needed to grow and sustain a lucrative business. Bebo Mia remains fiercely committed to the original mission that was developed in 2008 to connect women to their intrinsic value and power. It was really exciting to um, to talk to Bianca. I know you're going to love this episode. Uh, she drops some amazing uh, wisdom bombs. And at the very end, if you tune in, she's also offered all the listeners a gift. Um, you'll have to tune in to get that gift. And um, well, enjoy the episode. Hey, Bianca, thanks for joining us on Mums the Word. I'm so excited we finally got this to happen. Could you please tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, well, I'm so happy to be here. I love your podcast. And I am a birth doula by trade, and I live in Toronto, Canada with my wife and our daughter. And I have a company called Babel Mia that I started with my business partner about 10 years ago. And um when I kind of fell into birth work, actually, <laughs> there's definitely um, going I, to be a story there. <laughs> yeah, my plan was to be in an ob So, mm-hmm. you know, my whole life, I was, you know, went to a fancy university prep school. And, you know, it was my whole plan was to be a doctor. And then um, I, I got pregnant with kind of a it was a wonky story in and of itself in my 20s. And I had my daughter and I realized the relationship to birth that my OB-GYN had compared to my doula was like, well, terrible for lack of a better word. And I realized like my doctor didn't know anything about me. He really didn't care about my birth outcome aside from, you know, me having a pulse and my daughter having a pulse. And my doula was the one that would like come to my house before and she knew me and she was there like at a very long labor and I was adamant to have zero intervention. And um, that just happened to be my preference. It's not, there's no right way to birth, but that was just for me felt right. And, um, she was the one that was beside me and it, it was a really hard, uh, shift for me because I always revered, you know, being a doctor, like it's, it's such a big deal in my mind. Cause I'd been just raised around that environment. And so it was, a, it was a really hard change for me, even though I knew in my soul that it was right to be a doula. It, it, took a long time for me to get comfortable working in the medical space when I felt like I was really like lowly on the totem pole. Um, so I, I started my practice as a solo entrepreneur and here in Toronto about 10 years ago. And then I met my business partner and we were talking and both of us, um, had family like really far apart. My family was from the West coast of Canada and hers was from the East coast and we were living right in the middle of the country. So we kept talking about how alone we felt and she was trying to conceive and I had just had a baby and 
um, we were just saying like we wish that there was a better community for for parents and uh, and birth workers. And we built our business, and that was legit the foundation of everything we did. Was like we want a place where people can you know let their freak flag fly and feel really safe and get support and get information. And we just started pooling and getting more experts. And um, we had at the time a brick and mortar clinic, so it was a place where. Um, we offered classes and workshops and meetups and knitting clubs and just like it was great. It was like a community center for um, the fertil- for families going through fertility, pregnancy and the postpartum period. Um, and then Natasha, her husband got transferred. So he moved to the West Coast, um, which is where I was from. And she obviously went with them being a supportive, a supportive wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was a big shift for us because we, you know, we had had this business established and it was too much for me to run on my own and she wanted to keep her hands in it. So we actually closed all of our brick and mortar centers, which at this time we had 14 in Toronto. Wow. Uh, yeah. And we moved it all online. Um, and because we were now online, the care shifted a little bit and instead we continued to nurture the moms that were part of our community, but now they, most of them wanted to actually start a business doing what we were doing. Um, cause there was a hole here, especially in Toronto with, with our business no longer, you know, offering that service. Yeah. Um, and so we started training practitioners and this, it just shifted and morphed. And now our full-time gig is online education for, practitioners who work in the fertility birth and postpartum you know in that in that market with those expanding families yeah amazing because like around that time you know 10 years ago at least here in europe i mean there were like two dollars um in my city to choose from it wasn't really yeah it just wasn't really well known so um maybe maybe in canada it was well i imagine steps ahead but still that i'm sure you've seen massive growth over the years just in oh, understanding. Sure. Yeah. 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 It was, I mean, I know that at the start, like when I just, you know, was like, I'm starting a doula business. I, um, Facebook was brand new. Um, so I posted on my Facebook page, like, hi, I'm a doula now. Like that's it. Yeah. Um, my phone rang immediately. I immediately charged a thousand dollars, which at the time was like probably one of the highest in the city. But I was like, this is, you know, I'm pretty smart. I've done my pre-med. I know I'm good at what I'm doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, and then I made a one page website and I was the only doula that had one. And my business was insane. Like it was insane. I was full. Like I would take sometimes six births a month. And that was just like a Facebook post on my page and a one page website which wouldn't work now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's all about timing and you've got to be in it to win it, right? I mean, you know, the world, yeah, you were there and it was uh, meant to be. But I have to just ask, if you were doing six births a month and you had a little baby, I mean, were you taking her with you? I mean, it's no. so hard. That's so hard. It was, it was really hard. It was the, the breastfeeding part was mm. really hard for me. Um, I mean, it was not short. I mean, she breastfed till she was four, but exclusively till six months. So after that, it did buy me some more time because she could eat a banana or eat some avocado. Um, but yeah, it was challenging. And for some reason, the birth gods, like they just really worked out with for me the first year, it went a little bit off the rails after that. They were like, we gave you, (laughs) we gave you an easy nine months there. And now we're going to like give you back to back births back to back births and, you know, 48 hour ones and those kind of stints. But um, honestly, it, I don't like of all the periods of motherhood that that part actually didn't seem super challenging for me because um, I had a really great supportive community around me um, that made it work like other doulas and we trade off. And, and that was really key for Natasha and I because we didn't have um, we didn't have our families around us. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. Well, I want to get a little bit into this topic and I guess, um, well, now that you've shared a little bit of your background, but maybe you could even delve a little bit how this became something that, yeah, that you could teach us about. Um, yeah, share with us a little bit about um, some birth trauma myths and, um, yeah, what you want to um, enlighten us with. Yeah, so, I mean, I've, I've supported hundreds of families through their birth experience and uh, – it took a it took a bit for me to you know be detached from what I imagined was a great birth for people. 
Um, so once I mastered that part, which, you know, in all fairness, probably took about 30 births where I was like, okay, now I can no longer be attached to what I believe is your outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I found, I felt really attached to what they wanted for their outcomes, which, I mean, I use careful language, like our birth preferences Mm -hmm. or birth wish list, And it's not like a birth plan or your birth you know, it's not your for sure list, it would be like, what would your dream birth look like? And let's try to get it as close to that as possible. Mm-hmm. And our practice just steadily started seeing the the outcomes being like so far from the marks that people wanted. And Natasha and I and our team, we started looking at this, like what what is happening here? And then the follow up to that was the rate of postpartum depression and the rate of, of post traumatic stress disorder that was just rampant here in North America. I know Europe's a, some depending on the country, but there's areas that are a little bit better than ours. But um, it's it's a terrible issue here. And so it became the shift. I don't know. It's like the new wave of like, what are we going to tackle here? It's a major birth problem for for expecting families. I mean, I'm a little bit surprised also. I mean, I know it, birth goes the way it goes, but I mean, for me, one of the reasons I chose a doula is because I knew that there were the better outcomes. I mean, that was really mm-hmm. it for me. It wasn't any, about anything more than that. Um, and, and you know, you know, less percentages of intervention, et cetera. So to hear you even say as a doula, you know, that you were seeing it, I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your, your ideas on that trend because, of course, you're doing all the work with your clients. You feel like you've got their headspace, and even then it still doesn't go any. Yeah, I, I, yeah, there must have been a lot of thought that you've put into it. So I'm curious to think even in the doula births where it just goes, yeah, into, yeah, into birth trauma, share with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it's, um. well, there's a, there's a bunch of different pieces at play. One mm-hmm. is we, at this point, we have so many, so much trust in our healthcare practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do see a higher incidence with you know, under obstetrical care. So we're working yeah. with an OB gyne. Yeah. Um, a little bit less working with a GP who's, you know, obstetrical specialty, and then even less with midwifery care. Um, but when we're, what we're seeing is this trust that, you know, you just believe that, that their interests are, you know, you, that you're your doctor's interest. But the reality is you being alive is your doctor's interest. And that's really where it stops. And I don't want to say every doctor, because I was at a birth last week that, went a little bit off the rails by by the parent standard and the doctor could not have been more considerate like he was like you know if you need to take two more hours and see and um like what how can we make this a more positive i know that you know an operative birth is not your first choice so how can we create that space for you in the or like bring your music in let's have it quiet like you know it was was amazing so i don't want to say all doctors that's no, but that's totally not the norm. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm happy that you're, you know, being so PC about it. But yeah, that's, we know it's not the norm. It's not the norm. So um, we do have the most interventions. Our culture is, you know, this is what the birth climate is. And because of these interventions, we are going to see the side effects of said interventions happening. Yeah. So, you know, one of our myths is that support will, you know, guarantee you don't have birth trauma. Um, so, you know, like having a doula is going to ensure that you don't have a birth that leaves mm-hmm. you with trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we would say that is a myth that, that, that isn't true. It can decrease all of these side effects. Um, and your doula can do the best that they can to support you and make you feel great and give you all the information. Um, but honestly, doctors walk in and they're the Kings of the room, Kings and Queens of the room. And, so we can if offer that support, but when these choices are made, um, we see the side effects of that, which can lead to trauma. Yeah, for sure. And so one of the ways to combat that would be we, as a you know, as a birthing climate, need to stop with the interventions at the rate at which they're being used. Um, like our governing body in the World Health Organization, like they say the statistics around that of what we should be seeing. And the rate of what's actually being put into practice is, you know, sometimes two, three, four times what the recommended rate for, you know, C-sections or epidural use or Pitocin or, you know, pick an intervention. And it's happening way more than it should be, Yeah. Um, you know, according to our governing bodies. So I think that in and of itself is, is real, like it's a really key piece. Um, 
But also one of the main myths is that we believe that birth trauma has to be like a serious complication. Mm -hmm. And we're now discovering, you know, that the factors of just like a loss of control or loss of dignity or not feeling heard, um, being bullied or, 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 you know, your healthcare practitioner not framing something with the informed consent model. Um, those things lead to trauma, like period. Um, so think like, oh, it has to be, you know, you wanted a home birth and now you had a vag or you had an operative birth, like a C-section or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you almost lost the baby or you had to have a blood transfusion. Like we think of those as like, yeah, you're going to have trauma around that. Um, but if somebody's privy, like understands that process and they've chosen those steps, we actually potentially wouldn't see trauma with those things. Um, and, and it's rather just like that loss of that autonomy and, and control around your body and your baby and your, and your birth. Um, I think that's a really important. No, I, I see that all the time in practice that people are really happy with the outcome. You know, if it's framed, if it's pre-framed, right. And they have their happy, healthy baby. A lot of, a lot of women don't mind that, you know, they didn't necessarily get the home birth and, or, you know, there was meconium and they had to go to hospital and, they, yeah, I mean, maybe deep down subconsciously they, they're still really grieving that process. I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. generally they're not stuck in a, in, a, in a story or in a trauma about it. And, you know, they're uh, pregnant again, for example, when I see them and they feel okay about the whole process. So mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's that's the doula's role, right, the pre-frame or, or the birth educate. You know, it's it's how they come out of it in their, head, in their mindset. Yeah, definitely. And, and that education is a really important part to avoid, um, to avoid birth trauma. And again, the birth I was talking about last week, where it did end up, you know, went from a birth center birth to a hospital, um, operative birth, like the parents could not be happier, like they felt so part of the process. And um, the non birth mother of the couple, Um, she just kept saying like, you know, she pumped the brakes on anything that happened in the space and it, you know, she felt really powerful. Like she was, you know, standing, protecting her wife and, and their baby. And so at the end of it, when, when I did the debrief a week later, they just kept saying like, we're so happy. Like, yes, it looked totally different than we imagined, but we felt very much part of that process. Yeah. Um, Which is so important. And isn't oxytocin great for that? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know, right? They're like, we're just so in love. The yeah, them yeah. Tackling their daughter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what, what did you say again? Sorry, what? You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, that, bub- um, that bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And so, again, like a, a, a myth that stems off of the ones that we've talked about is that everyone's healthy, so you should be grateful. Um, because that, you know, that statement or that belief when people are like, you know, they're trying to share that they feel that there was some trauma around that birth experience. And when the response is, but like, look how perfect your baby is, or, or he's here and he's healthy, like you have your baby, um, which can just elevate those feelings of guilt or, um, it can, it can make it hard for the birthing parent to reach out for, for help because there's a lot of shame. Like they're like, well, yeah, that's true. Like I do have the healthy baby. Um, so, you know, I should be just satisfied with that piece. Um, and that's something that, that does definitely require attention and, and the space created for the birthing person to say like, okay, yes, I have a healthy baby and yes, I'm, I'm alive or whatever their bar is. And, um, I feel like I lost my voice or I felt really, uncomfortable with the fact that, you know, the doctors didn't take his hand out of my vagina when I said no. And like, whatever those pieces are, I think that that space is, is really important. So if, if you are a parent who suffered from, from birth trauma, or if you're a practitioner who works with parents who are trying to tell their story about their traumatic birth, um, give them the space to, to do that, even if they are healthy and their baby's healthy and on, you know, on paper, it should be just fine. No, I agree with that. I think you just need to validate their feelings. You know? Yeah. No matter what your opinion of it, you just need to validate their feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a piece that, I mean, it's really hard to not to do it because we want to fix, right? Like usually our intentions are really good. To be like, yeah, but like, look how good everything is. Like, let's just focus on there. But um, until people work through that, the those symptoms of PTSD, there's they they won't stop, and they you know 
they can't move on and move through and heal from that process unless they get the space to talk about it and process it and, um, and, and have their feelings be okay that they have them. Okay, so, so let's talk a little bit about this um, PTSD because a lot of people may not know what you're talking about. Um, maybe you could go through that a little bit and what those symptoms might be that you just referred to. Um, and, and then I've got another question for you as well. For sure. So, I mean, a lot of us know the symptoms of postpartum depression. Um, so this, the, you know, that would be some of the lethargy or, you know, either sleeping all the time or not able to sleep or not able to eat, not able to connect to your baby. Um, you know, they're, they're generally the signs, the, the classic signs of depression, but PTSD is a little bit different is that it has a lot of those same symptoms as post-traumatic or as, um, postpartum depression, but, um, it's different in that you typically have flashbacks. Um, so you replay what happened over and over again. And, and that experience of replaying continues to create that hyper arousal. Um, so you go right back to those stress hormones and, you know, the heart rate and like whatever those feelings were when that event happened. Um, so you're triggered over and over and over again. And you're essentially you're stuck in this loop. Um, and then so people can sometimes, you know, avoid things that are going to be triggers for them. And sometimes it might be some experience around parenting, which is where we can see it can have a huge impact on the quality of life for the birthing person. Um, if they are having this, you know, this depressive symptoms, plus these flashbacks and hyper arousal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No. Okay. So yeah, I mean, basically, you may not even know that that I mean, it's it's an internalized uh, um, symptomatic response, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so if you if you do find if, if you've given birth and um, you found that this is something that you are happening, that is happening for you, it is really important that you do get support around working through that because um, it is fixable. Um, and, you know, one of the other myths that we want to talk about today is that um, a lot of people believe or are told that um, you'll forget about it once either you have another baby, so another birth story to replace it, or with just enough time, like give it time and your baby's going to get older and you won't necessarily remember that. Um, which is not the case with, with PTSD and is not the case with, with people who would define their births as traumatic. It does require like anything like fully healing that. Um, it, and it's not just fixed with time and, and replacement of experience. Well, that's the same with, I guess, PTSD from maybe a, you know, a war situation, right? I mean, it's the same kind of thing. They can get stuck and yeah, it's not just as it relates to birth. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, it's crippling, and um, and you don't know what your triggers are going to be, and it's it can be really, you know, people might avoid social situations because they don't know what's going to trigger them, or you know, it could be, I don't know, watching something, or or somebody just coming into a room too loud, or and those those can set off that stress response, and it's um it's it's way more than just like, Oh man, that reminded me of something I didn't like. It's, it, it, you know, involves all that cortisol and your heart rate and your sweating. And, you know, it's a terrible feeling. With so much great information provided on each episode, we've created an easy way for you to stay up to date on keeping your family happy, healthy, and safe. For exclusive content, as well as show notes, links for everything we discuss on the episode, as well as a free newsletter to help keep you informed, visit mumsthewordpodcast.com. So being around a lot of these, um, I guess, birth trauma situations, I mean, I, I really, for the listeners and also for my curiosity as well, just want to hear your best advice on, on how people can avoid it. I mean, obviously, I would say have a doula who's well-educated and experienced. I mean, that goes without saying. But, I mean, maybe you've got a lot of insight into things that they should be reading or doing beforehand or if they have had a previous birth and now they're pregnant again. I mean, yeah. How to avoid it again? Yeah. So, I mean, if this is their first time and you want to, you know, if somebody is, is expecting and they want to set themselves up to avoid birth trauma, mm -hmm. um, you know, you would want to potentially go with a care provider or um, a birth center or a hospital or, you know, plan a home birth or whatever it is that makes you still feel safe. So don't, you know, if you plan, if you feel the most safe in the hospital, than birth in the hospital. But you want to potentially find one that does have as close to um, your birth goals as as possible. 
Um, and a good way to check this out, to find out about your care provider, is to go into mom's groups or, or expecting parents groups online and ask, you know, has anyone had this care provider and, you know, did they support you, you know, not having an epidural or did they support you having a C-section where you got to have your music and, and more than one care person in the room? Like whatever your birth goal is, um, you want to ask around and make sure that those that provider is going to be able to meet that need for you. Um, it's a really important one. And I know that we're having issues here in North America where actually um, lawsuits are being brought up against um, practitioners and hospitals for not meeting the like meeting those promises that they are saying to birthing parents. So I know last year there was um, $16 million was awarded to a family um, because of her birth trauma and they didn't do any of the things on her birth wish list that they promised that they would do. And there was no medical reason why they couldn't have done them. Um, so these, these, you know, lawsuits are coming out. So it is really important that you ask other people who have birth with that practitioner because they can say whatever they want. Um, so you want to know somebody who's actually been in their care. Um, so finding a, a birth center or a practitioner who is, who's going to be lower intervention, if that's your plan. Um, and then, yeah, like you were saying, hire continuous support, get a doula who's, you know, well-educated um, and make sure that your birth team is all on the same page. Um, and if somebody has a different birth philosophy than you, so if your mother-in-law, you know, really firmly believes in natural birth and, and you would find the idea of a natural vaginal unmedicated delivery stressful, then she's not the right support person to have on your birth team. Um, and you can, you know, give her other jobs and work that out in your pregnancy. But they, it's really important that everyone on the page they might not necessarily agree with your birth choices, but they need to support them and honor them and protect that space for you. And that's like, I want to underline that. Like, I'm I was just thinking that is such good advice. Cause I mean, when it comes to family, I think people keep them out, especially if it was an in-law, right? I mean, yeah. when it comes to birth, you should definitely have who you want there and no one else. Yeah. And if you feel like there's an obligation, like, Oh, you know, my, sister-in-law had my mother-in-law at hers and now she expects to be at mine like that's something you need to work out in your pregnancy not day of it's not something you need to work out in labor and you need to create a safe space and people that are going to be fiercely protective of that space and and let you set the pace so I know as a doula I go in and as soon as um, a birthing person you know might be on their hands and knees or with their back to the the door or their gown opens up, I immediately like cover it with a sh cover their back and their tush with a sheet. And I close the curtains and I close the door and I'm like, so hyper vigilant. And if they don't care, they'll, you know, pull off their own sheet or they'll like pull off their own gown or put their back to the door or whatever the case is. But I assume that like, that could be a trigger for some people, for example. Um, so it, it's about people that are going to keep that space so safe for you because we don't know what could lead to birth trauma because birth is such a vulnerable experience. Um, you're physically, you're emotionally vulnerable. You might not know everything that you would like to know, so you're informationally vulnerable. Um, and so it is really important that that space is protected of all those three buckets, the informational, the emotional, and the physical protection. Yeah, well, I mean, they, they're not just think that's, that's why they have you, I guess. They haven't thought about as much as you have. And, yeah, that's where the wisdom comes from, right, that, that you're their eyes, ears, supporter, advocate, you know, warrior, everything. Yeah, and, and, and empowering partners, if they have one, um, to, to do the same. So this is something that we do so much in our prenatal education to make sure that they are on the same page and that partners get to participate to their comfort. Um, so for some partners, that means their hands are right in there and they're like, you know, right, right in there. And to others, that means that they they wait in a different room and they check in every 10 minutes. Um, so it, that plan has to be in place, though, in pregnancy. So it's not coming up where we're like negotiating and navigating through creating that while the birthing person should be just focusing on labor and birth, which is a, a lot of work, no matter how you're birthing. <laughs> um and so a lot of that prep, it, it does need to be happening in pregnancy. Um, so, you know, doing that preparation and making sure that it's not as outcome focused. So like, that's why we use language like our birth preferences, or if we could describe our ideal birth, and then making contingency plans from that. That is really important so that we're not promising. Um, and we do talk about everything, including, including an operative birth, if that's not somebody's plan. So that we say like, okay, now 
let's just for a second, like imagine we do need to go to the OR, what would that look like? And what would you want to see? And, um, and if that's the opposite of somebody's plan, then we can say like, okay, we'll put that plan to the side and hopefully we won't look at it again, but it has been created and discussed. Um, and then just really making sure that the, the birthing person feels listened to and heard before they go into labor, um, because that in and of itself can reduce that stress and fear around birth so that, you know, we've exhausted all the areas that we can look at. And then um, after birth, it's really important, like we were talking about, that they have the space to discuss what happened for them. Um, like what their experience was like and what stood out for them. And it's really hard as a, as a birth supporter to not again put our stuff on, on their birth experience. Like I've, I've had clients where their baby was flat. Um, so they were having trouble, you know, having a heartbeat and, and regular, um, breathing for one of them was almost five minutes. And the, my clients were so concerned that, the doctors, while they were doing their resuscitation, had been rubbing off the vernix, which is the white um, stuff that's all over newborns that you'll see. They look kind of goopy and white um, because in one of their classes, they heard about how great the vernix is, that you want to rub it into the baby's skin and it helps and that ease that transition from an aqueous to a non-aqueous environment. And so my clients were just registering that the doctor wasn't listening and was rubbing the vernix off. And it was so fascinating to me because in their follow-up visit, um, when I asked, like, how did you feel about the birth? They didn't even register that that event had happened versus I'm holding her hand, like pouring sweat. I can feel tears just like pouring down my face thinking like, oh my goodness, we've just lost this baby that was like totally fine five minutes ago. Like the heartbeat was fine. And then at delivery, something happened. And so I'm like in full, like, wow, I'm going to have to change gears and it's going to be a very different kind of support, ended up being fine. But my clients did not register that trauma or did not register that crisis, which I thought was really interesting. So I had to go in and say, like, how did you feel about those first couple hours? And they were like, it was amazing. We got our natural vaginal hypnobirth. It was like, you know, better than we could imagine. And look at how beautiful she is. And like, that's what they had to say about it. Um, so asking it in an open-ended way and letting them share their experience is really important because they might, you might actually put trauma on them by asking leading questions or talking about something that, that wasn't impactful for them. Yeah. It's because you know more, right? I mean, you know, if a baby maybe doesn't cry for a few minutes, you know, they don't really know necessarily besides TV, whereas you, you, you do know. So you've seen so many more, you have a reference and they don't, I can imagine, yeah, it's it's super important for you not to put your belief system and, <laughs> and your wisdom on, at least not in, until the right time, if necessary. Yeah. Well, it was so interesting in the in the case of this birth because, I mean, the mood changed to urgency. Like, they started the clock and, like, the, te- the crash team, like, rushed in. Like, to me, it felt like the, obviously, like, yeah. really urgent. And she just kept <laughs> scolding them. I'm like, please stop wiping off the baby's vernix. Like, we talked about this. We want to rub the vernix in. Meanwhile, they're like vigorously rubbing the baby to resuscitate the baby. My God. And so I just kept saying to the parents, like, you know, they're, they're taking really good care of her. Like, let's let's listen and let we really want to hear your baby cry. So, you know, they know about the vernix, but like together, let's listen and, and, and hear your baby cry. And I'm like covered in goosebumps, like tears are just mm. like screaming down my face because I had this baby. I'm watching the clock and they're still and they just they missed the entire experience like they which wow. is great. And yeah, I was like, okay, well, wow. that's good. Until they, um, li- until they listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, they probably won't because their baby's big now. She's probably like eight or nine. <laughs> okay, phew, phew, because that would not be good. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, it is really important that you do in all of these cases that you um, that you listen more than you speak and that you let your clients use the words that they need to use. And then, or your, or you like whoever you're looking after, whether you're looking after your clients, um, and let them say, so if they say like, that was flipping terrible, don't come back and like, you know, I, yeah, that was bad. Like she's, they, or she is using language. That's really clear. Like that was awful. Um, so use that back so that, that they feel validated in, in what they're talking about and what they're sharing about. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow, lots of wisdom there. I um, I've got lots of questions, but I'm going to try and stick with the program. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I mean, yeah, just lots of birth stories, no doubt. Um, so, first of all, I'd love you to share an affirmation or a quote, um, you know, and how it relates to this topic, or can be completely different because you're a mum and you might have something that gets you through your day. Um, I have a couple actually. Yeah. Um, so there's a woman called Danielle Laporte. She's in Canada and she, yes, yes. We love those truth bombs. Yeah. Oh, good. good. Okay. She's made her way to Europe. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she has a quote and it's find your tribe and love them hard. And I just feel like that has been, um, my mantra essentially since becoming a mom and feeling so isolated and so alone in that process. Um, and I, you know, my tribe obviously of my like close people has gotten bigger, but now with Babel Mia's tribe being so big, it's like, you know, having tens of thousands of women look up to you and like love us and love each other. It's, it's one that just gets me through on the micro and the macro. Um, but my, also my day in day out favorite saying is not my circus, not my monkeys. And I like that one too. Yeah. (laughs) That helps me as a provider, as a care provider when I listen and I'm like, Oh, I could see that your life would be a little bit easier if you did it this way. Um, but now to fully detach or when I'm hearing, you know, people's stories that I just like, it allows me to be a little bit more neutral and hear what they're saying and not feel so invested and go through the emotional response that, it would just be too exhausting. I realized I was like, I'm just so exhausted by all these emotional responses all the time. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to hear your dog on the um, podcast also. Um, um, it's actually not even. Oh, it's a neighbor's. It's an outside dog. Oh, okay. Well, that's a happy Canadian dog. That's okay. Um, okay. Well, I think just to um, connect with could- it back more to you there's got to be a time that I mean even that story just there was definitely a struggle I think as a professional but maybe there's a time just to share you know with the community here on mums the word a place that um a time that was not so easy for you that yeah that, that you maybe struggled in inverted commas but also how, how did you get out of it or what did you learn yeah I've had a couple periods in my life that when I got through them I looked back and I was like wow that was wild like good for you like you know with some few more battle scars and some badges of honor and um, I found new parenthood one of those times for sure um, I when I was pregnant my mom said of all my siblings I come from a very big family of like real hippie uppies so um, you know vegan homeschooled but with a little bit of money in the bank. So it was a very interesting upbringing. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, of all my children, I, I think you're going to take to motherhood the, like the best because I can just imagine you're going to you know, be doing crafts and laying on the floor with your baby and just like having like a really intense, amazing experience. And you're pretty baby crazy, like birth and medicine and you know, all that stuff. And so when I had Gray, um, I really hated being a mom. And it brought up a lot of shame for me because I just I felt like I had this expectation from from my parents who I think did an amazing job. They were definitely my bar. And I was like, oh, man, I hate this motherhood thing. Like, I hate how much Gray needs me. I hate that I feel like I'm getting bossed by her. I don't have these feelings of like, this is amazing. I just want to grow my business. Um, but at the same time, like obviously a really like a fierce protection of her, like I wore her everywhere and I extended breastfed and I slept with her and she was never in daycare, like all those markers on paper that people would be like, Oh, you're such a good mom. But I didn't have that emotional experience that was connected with it. And, and that part was really, really hard for me. And it changed our relationship changed. And, you know, I'm insanely nuts about her and she's 10 now and she's like, you know, awesome. Like I, I've always loved her a lot, but I didn't love motherhood. And that part, um, it wasn't until I found a tribe of women that were like, Oh yeah, we love our kids and we protect them and we make sure they have really awesome lives. But motherhood wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And it wasn't until I heard a whole room full of women say that, that I was like, Oh man, okay, good. Like I felt, you know, really weird or like a bad person or a bad parent because of that it took about four years for me to find my tribe of women, by the way, that said, that's totally fine. I don't really like being a mom either. I hate playing on the floor with my kids. And I was like, Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's all this Pinterest motherhood and social media as well, this perfectionism and, you know, 
what, you know, you know, those posts that say, oh, this is what uh, looks like I do. And then this is what I really do. And, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, it's kind of like that, right. What you project, what people, you know, us included project out to the outside world is not always how it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I I know that that was a really long, it felt like a long, hard period for me, especially because I was supporting families and I was talking about how awesome it is to become a parent. And I was like, oh man. So now I'm way more honest. Like when my friends are pregnant and they're like, we're having another baby. I'm like, oh, that's so sad. I'm really sorry. And like, you know, everyone gets a good laugh because I know that's my stance about it. (laughs) And I love children. And like, I'm, as I say, I'm nuts about Gray. I love our snuggle times. I love when she, because now she likes the same things I do. So we, we could listen to music together. We could dance or we can curl up and read a book or do a puzzle together. And it feels different. Like she feels like more of a companion than a dependent. Mm -hmm. Um, but that dependency, that, that piece was really hard. And then, um, 2012 was really hard personally and professionally. Um, I, I lost my dad to suicide that year and it really rocked our family like to the core. And it was, you know, it like a loss in the family, let alone that kind of trauma. So, um, if it led actually, you know, to really wonderful things as, you know, when your heart breaks, it breaks open. And, and it really did for me. And I did a lot, a lot of work. And it led to really positive things personally and professionally, as I had understanding about grief and loss in a way that I never did before, even though, you know, I had friends or family die. But um, losing somebody to suicide when you're trying to understand their actual death was, um, and the trauma around that was was really, really impactful for me. And I feel like um, just how it changed my business was, I don't know, like I could connect to people in a different way. And I, I felt like gentler after that, I would say like, it really softened me, which I know that sometimes those events can make somebody like really callous and hard. And I found that I had the opposite experience that I was really like, I don't want to sound like a robot, but I wasn't, I didn't feel like my heart was open. And that event like really did change that for me and, and how I connected to people. So, um, and, and so it, 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 I learned a lot about flexibility and about resilience and about um, just continuing to do that work and, you know, putting one foot in front of the other and that it will pass and, and just again to find your tribe and, and really lean into those people. Well, it just sounds like you were, just became a lot more authentic and vulnerable and, you know, um, yeah, more human. Well, human, not that you weren't human before, but just, yeah, that. I was yeah. a bit of a robot. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I mean, it's it's normal if you're an entrepreneur and you're a mom and you're running a business and it's, you know grows massively. You, you've got to just get through the day, right? I mean, they don't always yeah. have time to process those emotions, and then something happens in life and it stops you. And yeah, you have to. Oh yeah, there was just like there was there was no way like you can't cheat grief and you can't cheat trauma and you have to you have to do the work and go right through there's no shortcuts you can't go around it or under it or over it um you have to go right through it and it doesn't end until you've made it out the other side um i mean and there's bits that probably never end so you know whether we're talking about birth trauma or a trauma like that or or anything mm. um it is it is so important that that you go right through that process um because it just will keep hanging over it just keeps going it just like envelops you until you get right through it and you can see clearly you can turn around and look at it and um it's a it's a really important part of the healing process around this for sure so if you could go back in time and talk to your um pregnant self because obviously (laughs) obviously you've got some different uh mindset now with what you just shared before about you know becoming a parent what would be some words of wisdom that you would tell yourself um, well, that you can't do it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, for some reason, I, I still have moments where like, I think I'm immune to life and consequences and side effects. And, um, my business partner, as I mentioned, she just had a baby a couple weeks ago and, and her home birth, you know, turned to a C-section due to placental complications. And I was visiting her last week, bringing her like her morning coffee and snuggling the baby. And, um, I said, uh, so how are you feeling like post-op now that we're a week post-op? And she's like, Oh my God, I feel like we've been like lying to moms because it's terrible. Like it's, I'm so surprised how terrible I still feel and how much pain I'm in. And I was like, really? It's, but it's been a week. And she's like, I know I totally thought that I would be immune to like the experience of post-op that it would, I'd feel fine like two days later. And I was like, yeah, I totally would think like if I had to have a C-section, 
that I'd be fine. So I know still I sometimes have this like egoic, I don't know, like I think I'm a superhero, yeah. which I'm not. Um, so I think if I had to go, you know, say back to my younger self was to, you know, let yourself be vulnerable, like you can't do it all and, and um, that you're not immune to those things and, and those things happen and they're okay. And it's, it's what you do with it after is the most important. I think I would have probably enjoyed motherhood more and felt a little softer about the experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely sound like you're very different to where you were, but so are we all, I guess, pre, pre. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure there's some amazing, you've already, um, dropped, uh, uh, Danielle Laporte, but like some amazing resources that have, yeah, that have helped you along this journey, whether it's related to motherhood or grief or um, or trauma that you would like to share with the listeners that have, um, yeah, if they want to look look deeper, what would they For be? Sure. Um, so I have three books and a and a and a resource. So um, my a couple of my favorite books. One is Danielle Laporte, and it's her older one. It's called The Firestarter Sessions, which mm-hmm. um, I really loved. And Brene Brown's Daring Greatly is a really great one about vulnerability. I knew you were going to say that, by the way. <laughs> um, and then this summer, I've, I have a new resource that my wife and I were listening to as we drove around. Um, the US, we listened to Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. And it was fabulous. Um, And we, you know, feel anyway, it was very, very impactful book. Um, And then I pray love lady, right? It is, which I didn't love eat, pray, love. So it took me a while to shake off my like, okay, Elizabeth, I'm going to give you a clean slate and um, (laughs) see what you have to say. And it was really, really impactful. And it's impactful for anybody who is either an entrepreneur or an artist or a writer or like anybody that's really creating something. Um, And which you can definitely do, you know, whether you're creating a business or some more traditional form of art. Um, It was really wonderful and very inspiring and you know cleared my head a little bit and it was great to you know come back and hit the ground running after being away from the office for a couple of weeks so I loved it um so I feel like those are all just kind of like general perspective shifting I guess self-help books which they would be on the list but yeah. I'm always embarrassed looking in the self-help section yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um a resource that I found really helpful I mean, it's, it's awesome for birth trauma, but, um, it's Olivia Scobie and she is out of Toronto. Um, and she is a very near and dear friend and she has been an amazing resource through all of my ups and downs in life. And she actually focuses on birth trauma healing, um, and just is what she's creating and building right now is absolutely beautiful. And, and if anybody suspects that they, um, that there's somebody that they love who has had a traumatic birth, or if you know that you've had birth trauma, um, the resources she has on her website are awesome. And, uh, she's really, really funny. And she talks about parenting in a way that is refreshing and it's the opposite of Pinterest parent. And she was the first, um, mom that I met that was validated that like you can say you hate motherhood but love your children <laughs> <laughs> and and does she have a website or she does it's olivia scobie so s-c-o-b-i-e.com olivia scobie.com okay. um and and she's she's wonderful but she, her her resources around birth trauma are fabulous so i wrote scobie as um you know, more like a kombucha scoby. So that's good that you spelt it out. <laughs> like a Scooby, right? <laughs> Not Scooby-Doo, but sort of different. So, yeah, thanks for <laughs> – um, yeah. I don't know if anyone listening will get that joke, but anyway, it's okay. <laughs> so um, look, tell us just a little bit more about the beers as well because I know you, you do a lot um, from what I could tell, but I just – yeah, obviously I want people to hear um, how they can get – best get in touch with you but just maybe tell a little bit more about um your whole uh your whole beers because it's beyond yeah. it's beyond just uh being a doula now yes well beyond Correct. so um Mia, um we offer i would say our target market is actually practitioners who want to expand their practices but our our actually our main source of who our students are are um, people who have just had babies and on their parent leave for countries that have that, um, or they're back to work and they've realized that they want to be home with their children. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they do a new career and they come to us. Um, so we, our programs are all online and depending on the program, we actually teach them live online. So you log into your classroom just as if you were 
you know, going to any class, but you get to do it in your pajamas or while you're feeding your children or doing whatever, whatever it is that parents do. Um, so you log in and um, you can do your doula certification that way. Um, so we have a, a program that runs twice a year. And then um, some people want to specialize. So we do um, sleep education around the actual art and science of sleep. So it's not sleep training. It's not a method like that. It's about actually learning the science of sleep for infants. Um, we do breastfeeding. We do a whole program now for diverse families. So um, working with people with invisible disabilities, visible disabilities, um, the LG. TBQ plus communities, the, um, you know, really anybody that would fall into a marginalized community, the trans birthing rights, which is really big for Australia right now. Um, you guys are, you have the most trans birthers right now, which is very interesting over Canada and the U S. Mm -hmm. Um, but the least understanding around working with people through their trans reproduction. Um, and so that's our diverse family certification. And then we also do work around pre and postpartum fitness, um, and eco babies. So how to actually work in a green and eco way with families. So heaps. So I'm glad I asked you that question. <laughs> so, um, well then I need you to drop some of your socials, including the website. Yeah. So it's babomia.com, which is B E B O M I A.com is our main site. And all of our social handles are, um, at babomia Inc. So that's our Facebook, our Twitter and our Instagram. Um, our Facebook is a really fun place to hang out. We have experts do Facebook lives every week. Um, we interview doulas, we do, you know, fun contests. It's a, it's a very happening community for practitioners and parents as well. Yeah, it sounds awesome. It sounds really yeah. awesome. And, um, I'm just super appreciative that you, um, you reached out to me as well to get you on the show because it's been really valuable, um, and worldwide as well. I think, you know, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, that you're getting, that you even found mum's the word. I was happy as well. <laughs> oh, I love it. I loved your interview with Mari so much. And she said some really impactful things that, um, I actually scribbled down on a post-it that I keep on my desk now. Yeah. Her interview. Yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. Well, I think we're going to do another one soon as well. So that's, um, yeah, that's exciting. She speaks so eloquently and I so know, I softly. love her. I know. Like, I know. It's like everything's so well thought out and she, the way she described her life, aside from the fact her dad delivered all her siblings, um, which we had midwives do it, but I felt like a, very connected to her. I was like, I need to reach out and meet her. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, you'll have to come to Amsterdam then because she lives here. She does. I know. I'm, I'll be there next week. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we also had a gift for your listeners. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, we wanted to offer it's 20% off any of our programs. So you would just use the code, the word, and then all cap locks, no space. Um, and they can use that anytime. And Aww. check out any of our programs. Yeah, thank you so much, Fanka. Really, like, um, that's really generous. Really, really generous. Well, and thank, thank you for, for your having time and, um, and for being patient with me as well because the listeners don't know that this has uh, been a while coming. So thanks for persevering. <laughs> Super grateful. It's, 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 it's moms who are entrepreneurs. We get it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Exactly. So thanks for hearing me and giving me the space and uh, all that jazz. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Mums the Word. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes and join us on our Facebook page to help us share the message to more mums all over the world. We look forward to having you join us again next time here on your trusted source for all mums everywhere, Mums the Word. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.